you at Maranatha. A real privilege to open up the Word of God here at this special place. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like being here is coming home as a kid. Uh, I came to your Christian school here from grade one to grade five, and um, yeah, my mom and dad thankfully footed the bill, made the sacrifice for us to come here, and some of my siblings as well. Good memories, although I will say perhaps not such good memories for a couple of my teachers. I think of Miss Brock, Mrs. Thomas. I'm sorry, teachers, if you hear this, but good memories uh, overall, and hopefully that they've gotten past uh, some of those that aren't such good memories. But now the past yeah, year and a half, as Pastor Andrew said, the fact that uh, Isaac can now be back here at Maranatha. What a special uh, thing this is for his mom and me that he's found a church home here and uh, the opportunities that he has had both to receive ministry and to give ministry and also to meet uh, his fiance here, Sadie. So just how special it is. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the opportunity to uh, open up the word on this occasion of Isaac's uh, ordination. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take our Bibles, the precious word of life. If you could go to Acts chapter 20, what a passage this is. Acts 20 verses 17 to 38. And we are going to look at about six principles for Christian ministry Acts 20, 17 to 38, I'll go ahead and read, and if you would follow along as I read from God's precious word. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore be alert, 
Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. May we hear the word of the Lord. Oh, Lord, we do pray that we would hear your word, that we would have ears that would hear, that we would have eyes that would see this, that we, have, we would have hearts that are pliable, hands and feet, ready to do your will. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So yeah, we're gonna look at six uh, principles for Christian ministry, and I will say this, that the principles here have the most direct application to missionaries and pastors. Paul is a missionary, and he's given this charge to these pastors in Ephesus But I think we need to be careful, not miss it, that this message is applicable to all of us, all believers. If you are a believer here today, you are to be involved in Christian ministry. You are saved to serve. One of the key phrases here is in verse 19. I've just gone to this over and over again, that little phrase Paul says that he was serving the Lord. Isn't that precious? That just says it all. Serving the Lord. And that is true for all of you who are followers of Jesus. So uh, maybe back up here a little bit. What's going on? This is Paul's farewell sermon to the elders in Ephesus. You might even sort of view it as his last will and testament. Uh, It's given at the end of his third missionary journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to get there in time for Pentecost, most likely in the spring of A.D. 57. Paul had ministered in Ephesus for three years. Now this is about one year later. So the memories are still fresh. What Paul means to them, what they mean to Paul, and... uh, He really didn't have the time to get up to Ephesus, to stop off at Ephesus, I should say. So he asked them to come down and meet him in Miletus. And by the way, a little plug to uh, visit Berlin, uh, if you can't make it to Turkey, because in Berlin, in the Pergamon Museum, we have there the Gate of Miletus. And what a spectacular piece of architecture it is. And I I see that, and I'm very moved because my mind goes right to this this passage. So, 
maybe you'll have a chance to, uh, to visit Berlin one of these days and see firsthand the gate of Miletus. But now what we're going to do is we're going to look at six, briefly, uh, six uh, principles for Christian ministry. And the first one we find in verses 17 to 19. And the first principle is this, that ministry is inseparable from everyday life. Verse 18, Paul says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day. So it's not like Paul has this mentality of compartmentalizing his life between ministry and non-ministry. It's not like he's thinking ministry only happens when I'm preaching or teaching, when I visit the sick, when I evangelize. No, for Paul, it's this sense of it's, it's the whole time. It's, it's his life. You go to verse 34, and he adds, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered, even working with his hands to make tents. Very likely in the morning when he was in Ephesus, he was making tents. And then in the afternoon, he would go over to the hall of Tyrannus, teaching the word of God. And it says the word of God went out to all of Asia Minor pretty remarkable. But in the morning, he's working with his hands, making tents. And even that he calls ministry. Ministry flows out of his everyday life, while his teaching and preaching certainly wielded influence among the Ephesian elders. You could say that his life was his greatest teaching tool. Uh, What especially influences others, and may we not forget this, is the way that we live our life. When I was a little guy, we attended Memorial Baptist. I probably heard it then uh, here in Columbus growing up, this little ditty, our walk talks, our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Has anyone ever heard that one? Yeah? Can you say it with me? Our walk talks, our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And this idea that how we live our life is of utmost importance. This is why he says in verse 28 to those elders, pay careful attention to yourselves, your own life. This is why we see in those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, those qualifications have to do almost exclusively with one's character. Pastor and author, author Peter Scazzaro says this, who you are as a person will always have a larger and longer impact on those around you than what you do. Your being with God or lack of being with God will trump your doing for God every time. We can teach what we know, but we will reproduce who we are. In, in Paul's life, it's like this beautiful open book And you have these three key terms here showing the vulnerability of his life before these Ephesian elders, before the Ephesian believers when he was there doing ministry. Number one, humility we see. It could be translated lowliness or weakness. By the way, not a desirable quality for leaders in the Greco-Roman world. But Paul just says a life of humility, a life of tears, He refers to tears. We see him crying at the end, don't we? 
And it wasn't like Paul was this crybaby, but we do see on a few occasions in the epistles, we, we see examples of Paul shedding tears, and it was never about himself. It was always about the spiritual well-being of others. People's need for salvation in Romans 9. Disobedient Christians in 2 Corinthians 2. False teachers in Philippians 3. Shedding tears. And then the third word, trials. From the plots of, a, of the Jews. Again, secular leaders would tout their victories. Paul is just saying, no. There were trials, and he doesn't go into detail about what these were, although in Acts 19, verse 9, we see a reference to Jews who spoke evil of the way, the name for Christianity. This idea, though, that his life was just an open book, uh, ministry flowing out of his life, a ministry that was inseparable from his life. Principle number two We see this in verses 20 and 21. Ministry necessitates the faithful teaching of the word. Faithful teaching of the word. Not only, Isaac, is this so critical for you or for any of you who call yourselves uh, elders, uh, but for all of you, we all have opportunities to teach the word of God. May we be faithful when you see this Paul's teaching in different locations publicly, again, probably in the uh, hall of Tyrannus in the afternoons, but, but more privately from house to house, different people to Jews and to Gentiles, but it's always the same content, repentance and faith, repentance, that change of mind about your sin and a turning toward God and faith, trusting in God for salvation. And Paul did not shrink back from teaching anything that was profitable. His concern was the faithful teaching of God's word for their good, even when it's not always popular. Now, right now, I think you're okay with what I'm teaching. I'm seeing some nods and and some smiles. But what is really tough for a minister, for anyone teaching the Word of God, is what if you're being faithful to the Word and the people don't like what you are hearing? That's when it gets tough. And that has happened multiple times in God's Word. We have Elijah was threatened by the Queen Jezebel and ran for his life. You have uh, Micaiah who was slapped in the face by the prophet Zedekiah and put in prison under the order of King Ahab. You have Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest who was stoned to death. You have Jeremiah who had his scroll burned by the king and then the king threw him in a pit to starve. And then you come to the New Testament, you've got John the Baptist who's thrown in prison and then beheaded. You've got Stephen who's stoned to death with Paul looking on and and giving approval. Now this doesn't mean that we are obnoxious people who go around thumping others over the head with our Bible. We are to speak the truth in love, as Paul will write later uh, to the Ephesians. However... If we believe this is the word of God that is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, then we will faithfully teach it, even if the message is not always popular. And we come to the third principle. We find this in verses 22 
to the beginning of 24, ministry, and it kind of goes along with the previous one, ministry will involve hardship. If you're going to serve Jesus, now it's true, there is joy in serving Jesus. I learned that song as a kid too. It's joy in serving Jesus, but there's hardship in serving Jesus. Jesus. And Paul senses that the Holy Spirit is leading him to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that there will be hardships ahead in the form of imprisonment and afflictions. And we follow the story and we see that is indeed what happened. Now, it is doubtful that any of us are going to be called to, uh, called upon to suffer in the way that Paul did. But if you are a follower of Jesus, it's just part and parcel of, of serving him. First uh, Peter 2.21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's going to happen. At the very minimum, think of it this way, at the very minimum, the kind of suffering that we could face just think about this. We are to die to ourselves, right? We would rather fulfill our own desires. Or here's another one. We suffer in the sense that we are trying to serve when we would rather kind of be selfish and take it easy. We suffer in the sense that because of our commitment to Jesus, we're going to go against the flow. We're going to be considered strange. We're out of step with the mainstream of society, or at least we should be, we're never gonna quite fit in. There is a form of suffering that you will face if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, what we can't forget also is that there are many Christians today who are facing very severe forms of suffering. Pastor Andrew mentioned that I'm, I have a leadership position with our mission, serving missionaries in the Middle East and North Africa, and I have learned firsthand about some of these precious believers in these parts of the world who are facing very severe forms of suffering. But back to Paul. Let's go back to Paul. What a perspective he displayed. In verse 24, he says, I don't consider my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. What a free way to live. You've got that kind of perspective. You can't touch Paul. I mean, think of it this way. They're saying, hey, Paul, we're going to kill you. Paul says, hey, to die is gain. Well, then, Paul, we're going to keep you alive. Well, to live is Christ. Okay, Paul, we're going to put you in prison. Well, I'll testify to the gospel. And uh, people will come to Christ. And we know that happened. Prison guards and, and prisoners came to Christ. Well, Paul, we're going to beat you. I rejoice that I can share in the sufferings of Christ. Ah, what a way to live. Now we come to the fourth principle, and this is what uh, maybe arguably gets into the key verse of our passage, verse 24. And by the way, verse 24 was the life verse of Isaac's maternal grandfather who faithfully served as a pastor for 50 years. Let me just kind of set that one aside and read that. But I do not, verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So this brings us to principle number four. Ministry requires staying focused on the goal. 
We see that in this verse, verse 27, all the way, or verse 24, all the way through verse 27. This sense that in, in this ministry that Paul has, he, he was not just marking time to complete a series of ministry tasks that were a part of his job description. He had his eyes on the finish line and on carrying out the task of ministry that Jesus gave to him. And, and as we, we minister, it's so easy to lose sight of the goal and, and get distracted by the many needs that come our way. But Paul was focused on this task given to him by Jesus. And you might say, well, what's that task? We can't really unpack that. But I think there are about three phrases that give us some indication of what that task was. The first phrase is in verse 24. Testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. The good news that God saves sinners through Jesus. Paul was about that. In Romans 1.20, he says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel. That's a part of it. And then verse 25, to proclaim the kingdom. This is part of the task. Uh, you get this sense uh, as we see this verse, verse 25, that this is this last will and testament of Paul, his, his farewell sermon. He says, none of you will see my face again. And then he summarizes his ministry with them as one of proclaiming the kingdom, having taught them those Ephesian believers, how to live as subjects of King Jesus. And then the third one we find in verse 27, declaring the whole counsel of God. He taught the Ephesians the storyline of God's redemptive plan in Scripture, giving them what they needed to understand the gospel and the central truths of theology as revealed in Scripture. And Paul, he wasn't one to like pick and choose, hmm, uh, what do I especially like? Or, or, or what will tickle their ears? No, he faithfully gave them the whole counsel of God. And thus he could say that he was innocent of the blood of all men, an allusion to Ezekiel 33, uh, where it says that uh, Ezekiel, if he didn't warn the wicked about their sin, then he was accountable for their blood when God would punish them. So we come to the fifth principle, and here we have Paul now specifically zeroing in on those elders. He's zeroing in on them, elders, overseers, pastors. But I want to say to each one of us, I think there are principles even here that we can draw, uh, even though Paul's talking specifically to these elders. And here's what he's telling them, but by extension telling all of us. Ministry entails caring for the flock. I love David's prayer in which he, he sort of addressed that in his prayer, our responsibility to care for one another. Part and parcel of pastoral ministry is caring for the flock, doing the dirty work of a shepherd, Sadly, too often we've lost sight of this today. Many pastors function more as, as CEOs than shepherds. A pastor is someone who's in the mud of the sheep pasture with the sheep, visiting the sick, comforting the hurting, feeding the hungry, guiding the lost. Pastors, we shouldn't be looking at church members as people who, 
who bolster our numbers and our finances, but these are precious people who've been entrusted to our care. And we gotta go through these very quickly, but I hope they're an encouragement to you. They are a great encouragement to me. Under this principle, we have what I call five um, imperative B verbs. And I'm just gonna say them quickly, but here, here they are. Number one, be encouraged. Uh, verse 28, be encouraged. The Holy Spirit appoints overseers. Isaac, I can't think of any greater encouragement to know that when you are appointed as an overseer, an elder, a shepherd, that it is the Holy Spirit who does that. The leadership affirms it, the church does as well, but it's the Holy Spirit who actively appoints elders. I find that very encouraging. Number two, be motivated because Jesus purchased the church with his own blood, verse 28. What a thought. These people that we are serving, the church, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has purchased them with their blood. That's how important this task is, what we are about. Number three, be alert. Wolves will come. We see this in verses 29 to 31. Jesus in Matthew 7 refers to wolves and sheep's clothing. And Paul's words were prophetic. You go to Revelation, you come to Revelation 2, and you read the letter that was addressed to the church in Ephesus, and you read about these people called the Nicolaitans, these false teachers. Wolves came. They came to the church in Ephesus. They've come to churches throughout church history. They're coming to churches today. And what is so scary is often it's from among your own selves. It can be leadership. This happened in, in the church is very precious to me, our sending church. We had a pastor recently who went off the rails, teaching something that was false, taking many with him, causing great division in the church. And Paul calls on the elders to remember his example of not ceasing day or night to admonish them in tears for three years. And then number four here, be assured because God, we find this in verse 32, be assured because God through his grace will build up believers in this life and give them an inheritance in the life to come. How encouraged this is for pastors or anyone ministering to people. We're toiling away caring for others, but we can entrust precious people to God, believing that through his grace he's gonna build them up and he has an inheritance waiting for them. And then the final B verb imperative is be a giver. It is more blessed to give than receive. You get this sense with some in ministry that they are takers rather than givers, fleecing the flock, using the church to increase their personal platform. Hans Finzel in the top 10 leadership commandments mentions 10 deadly motives that pastors can have, power, prestige, position, popularity, pride, personal gain, paycheck. That wasn't Paul. He didn't covet what was others. He worked hard among them in order to provide for his own needs and to take care of the needs of others, remembering Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. And then we come to the last one, and I find this so moving. Ministry includes prayer and loving relationships with others. What a touching scene. The elders from Ephesus up in the north, they make their way 35 miles to the south. It it could involve two or three days off of work for them, uh, spending time with beloved Paul, hearing his farewell sermon. And at the end of his sermon, I just find this beautiful, Paul gets down on his knees and and he prays with these guys. You know, he's not standing up, praying over them. He, he's down there on his knees. He's, he's with them. Can't you see the display of the loving relationship they had with Paul? Weeping, embracing, kissing. Again, in this culture, men who were strong leaders didn't weep. You might have a brief uh, kiss for a greeting, but here you have these repeated kisses and embracing happening. It, it would not be the norm showing how deep the affection is between Paul and these elders. And this is beautiful. They walk him to the ship in deep sadness in light of the fact that they believe this is their final goodbye. What a moving picture. Paul wasn't this aloof missionary planner. He was one of them, someone for whom they had deep affection. What a model of what it means to finish well with a congregation when it's time to depart. Now, although this message is primarily geared to uh, my son Isaac and um, really to, to pastors, it has application. Once again, I won't want any of us to miss it. It has application for all of us. If you are here as a follower of Jesus, you are saved to serve. All of us are to be about, about serving the Lord May the principles here be an encouragement to you. Now, perhaps you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus. You're not yet a believer in him. May you respond to this message by saying, oh, Jesus, I I, want to come to saving faith in you. I want to serve you as my king. And let me tell you, you are serving a great and glorious king in serving King Jesus. Come to faith in Christ. For those of you, again, who are believers, I'm just gonna, it's a little silly, I know, but I'm just gonna put up, a, I guess Jeff's gonna put up a picture here. I don't even know if, do we see this thing in America? Thomas the Tank Engine, maybe it's just a European thing, but our, our kids grew up, Isaac, when he was little, and his siblings, we would watch this Thomas the Tank Engine. And I've never gotten the song out of my head. The song goes, he's a really useful engine, you know. And I, I just, I, I've repeated that over and over again. He's a really useful engine. Only I've, I've inserted the word servant and I want to be a really useful servant. Do you? I want to be a really useful servant to my Lord. I love the name of your church, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. And when he comes for you or brings you home to himself, will you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant?
enter <laughs> into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Oh, our God, we thank you for the privilege to even be able to call you our king, our master, as we have come, those of us who've come to saving faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you for that privilege. Lord, we pray that we would look to you and through your grace that we would be faithful servants of yours. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.